1899, which is about 120 years ago, an economist and sociologist named Thorstein Veblen, Thorstein Veblen wrote that conspicuous abstention from labor becomes the conventional mark of superior pecuniary achievement. Yeah. He wrote that because in 1899, if you're an economist and sociologist named Thorstein Veblen, what else would you write? He could have written what it actually means. The richer you get, the less you have to work, and the more free time you will have, and the more you're going to show off how much free time you have to others. That's what he meant. The richer you get, the more free time you have. You know, at one point in France, about 1840, uh, there's a writer who wrote that it, it was rumored that it was such a sign of being wealthy and having high status uh, that in, in Paris, there was a time that it became trendy to put a, your pet turtle on a leash and go take it for a walk. And you would let the turtle set the pace. And can you imagine? And so it, it was just, this is what you would do for everyone to know that you were cool. Today you take pictures of your food at a nice restaurant. Back then you would take a turtle for a walk. And so you'd have your turtle on a leash and everyone would walk by and say, that man, look, he's just wasting time. He must be awesome. She's got a turtle on a leash. She must have nothing more important to do in the world. How wealthy must she be to just be taking her turtle for a walk? The world's changed a little bit. In fact, today, the opposite has become the reality. Busyness is the new status symbol of our time. Uh, and in fact, if you go look into this, there's lots of research and articles and uh, much commentary has been done about how, and this is especially true in the United States today, even among developed countries in the world today, uh, that busyness is the new status symbol for our time. That people assume that a person who is busy is more in demand, that they are more competitive, that they are more ambitious, and that they are more valued by others. Of course you're busy. Doesn't everyone want you to be helping out in their business project, community service group, activity, team, whatever it is? Man, you must be awesome because you're so busy. Uh, people connect being busy with having a higher social status, and being richer, wealthier, and successful. Of course, when this is true, uh, people tend to reject resting, reject relaxing. They pursue chaotic schedules. They brag about how busy we are. And we become a nation of workaholics. We're just out of control all the time, going from one event and activity and meeting and commitment uh, to another, all over the place, all the time. And yet, in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat because the Satan has tempted them, and the Lord finds them in the garden and asks why they're hiding, and they tell them, and the Lord begins pronouncing the curses and the punishments upon Adam and Eve and the serpent for what they've done. 
Uh, Genesis 3, verse 17 says this. This is the curse that is placed upon Adam. To Adam, God said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Now, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Again, it's not really the way that we would describe things today, because most of us don't eat from that, uh, from tilling our land and planting seed and sowing seed and harvesting it. And so we get removed from what really is being said to Adam here. But if you were to modernize it and talk about what God is saying uh, to humanity because of the fall is this. You're going to have to work hard all the time to make a living and gain what you need to eat and gain what you need to live off of. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to toil. You're going to have to sweat and put in extra hours. And it's not just going to be provided for you in the way that it was intended to be in the garden. You're going to have to work all the time just to get by. That's the curse as a result of the fall. And here we are today living a life that sounds less like the rest of God and the peace of God and the God who provides for us uh, all that we need and desire, we are instead the people who are pursuing the curse and being excited about how busy we are. I mean, we act like we're not excited about it, but then we say yes to one more commitment, one more meeting, one more uh, extracurricular activity and prove that we've bought into the lie that the curse is the way to live. That, that people who work all the time are the ones who are the most successful, the most blessed. And if we really buy into this idea in Genesis chapter 3, we should look at each other and say, man, if you are just killing yourself all the time to make it and you're excited and proud about that, maybe you're buying into the curse and not pursuing the blessing. Not pursuing the blessing. You know, we've embraced the curse so fully that when God offers us rest, we misunderstand it. We misunderstand rest. And I think it's easy to do because if, if you imagine if I told all of us in the room today, when you go home, you have to take a nap. Think about how differently you all experienced that. Some of you gave me thumbs up, but I'll tell you this. Parents, if you look at your kids right now and say, hey, you quit that or else you're going to have to go home and take a nap. And the kids go, no, I don't want, I don't, I don't want a nap. There's too much life to be lived, fun to be had, screens to be watched, neighbors to be played with. Do not sentence me to that punishment which shall not be named. The horrible, awful nap. You go tell the parents of those same kids, if you don't shape up, you're going to have to go home and take a nap. And you go, how do I sign up for that? <laughs> a nap. And some of our senior adults here, you know, I tell you, you're going to go home and take a nap. You're just going to look at me and go, yeah, it's Sunday. <laughs> what else would I be doing on Sunday? 
Rest is so contextualized. It's so uh, determined by our, how we, our situation in life and all kinds of other things. But the rest that God offers us, the rest that is kind of this blessing, has a different purpose than just taking a nap. It's not a nap. If we're going to talk about rest and we're going to talk about what God has intended for us as a result and a, a medicine to give us a, a relief from the curse of working all the time, we've got to talk about Sabbath. We've got to talk about Sabbath. And it seemed like a good day to do it because if you ask dads, what do you want for Father's Day? Don't we all just want a day of nothing? Day of nothing. What do you want to do on Father's Day? Nothing. Nothing? Yes. Actively nothing. Uh, but Sabbath is more than doing nothing. Sabbath is more than just uh, removing yourself from doing other things. God has a different purpose for the Sabbath. The Sabbath rest, which was a command that God gave to Israel, uh, on Saturday, which is the Sabbath, I want you to rest, and I want you to keep it holy and set apart and separate. But you're not just supposed to do nothing. There are things you are supposed to do on Sabbath. You would go to synagogue. You would spend time in worship. You would spend time with, with your family. But there is a very special part of Sabbath that is connected to memory, that's connected to remembering God and the things of God and the things God has done. Israel was called to reflect on, on who God is, what God has done in the distant past, what God has done in their deliverance, what God has done in my life recently, so that you would think about your relationship with God. You would think about the journey that you've been on with God and, and that God has been on with your people. And you would reflect on that on the Sabbath. It was a time to remember. You know, we started... Uh, several weeks ago on Memorial Day, we had a sermon on remembering the stories of the past and the importance of older Christians and middle-aged Christians constantly finding younger Christians to tell their stories of faith to. I need you to know how God has gotten me through tough times. I need you to know how God has been with me in green pastures and beside still waters. I need you to know how he was with me in the valley of the shadow of death. Let me tell you my stories. Stories of overcoming, stories of perseverance, times when I, I didn't think I was going to make it another month, and God didn't just get me through that month. He delivered me into a time of great blessing. We've got to tell our stories of faith, our stories about who we are and where we've been and where God has taken us in the past, because that's where we find out where we are in the present, where God wants us to be in the future. But we're so busy today dealing with problems of immediacy, problems of, uh, of what has to be done right now, that we rarely get to, the, get to doing the things that are most important. I have so many days, and maybe you do too, where the most important thing that I need to do in a day never gets above number three on my to-do list because less important things that need to be done right now keep coming up. You know, the most important thing that I may need to do on a day uh, is, is to, you know, go to the bank and make a deposit so that I can pay a bill. That's important that bills get paid. It might be the most important thing that I do uh, for my family on that day. But my kids seem to think that the most important thing is that I make their lunch. 
So I've got to make their lunch before I can leave and go run errands and do other things. And so the immediacy of their needs and their hunger trumps uh, the most important thing. And so something else jumps in line and a phone call jumps in line and emails jump in line. Uh, and then uh, trying to get this done and that done. And at the end of the day, I'm going to go, I don't know what I did, but I didn't do the most important thing. We're so busy all the time. You know, the less important things seem to take up all of our time that should go to that which is the highest priority. But the highest priority might take more time and we just run out of resources. And I think we also struggle today. There is so much worry and fear and anxiety. We worry so much about the future and what may or may not happen that we forget the things that we've gotten through with God before. We're so worried about tomorrow's potential disasters, we forget about yesterday's successes and gratitudes and the things that God's got us through before. And all of this goes back to our need to slow down, to take a break, to rest regularly, to find our own type of Sabbath that we can remember the journey that God's been on with us all along. This isn't my first obstacle. This isn't my first challenge. It's my 100th challenge, my 1,000th difficult day. And God got me through those, and he can get me through this one too. And the problem with being so present and future-oriented, and the world that we are in is so present and future-oriented, is that we forget about God's faithfulness in the past. We become consumed by anxiety and worry in the present. And we have nothing but fear for the future. Anxiety and worry in the present and fear for the future. Listen, if you're afraid about what's coming tomorrow, it's because you've forgotten what God's got you through yesterday. If you're worried about today, it's because you forgot that God got you through last month's worries. Or the worries of, of 10 years ago, we forget. We have this collective cultural amnesia. But if we can reclaim God's spiritual practices of remembering, then we can gain peace in the present and faith and confidence and hope that God's going to take care of us in the future. And if we're going to talk about some of God's incredible spiritual practices he gave people to help them to be always remembering what he's done for them, we've got to go to Sabbath. We've got to start with Sabbath. We're going to spend several weeks talking about some of the spiritual uh, practices that God gave Israel to help them to always be in the habit of remembering. He built it into the rhythms of their life and their calendars and their schedules so that you couldn't live in Israel without regularly coming upon a day that someone in your family would say, what are we going to do today? And the answer to that would be, today is a day that we remember God. And we remember the journey he's been on with us. And so let's talk about that. Man, I'll tell you, I need days like that where I wake up and look at my to-do list and delete everything and say, today is a day that I need to remember who God is and what he's done, where he's gotten me through. And I need to tell someone, especially my kids, those stories. I need to remember. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about Jubilee, um, which was another uh, a, a, a year that God wanted Israel to remember where they had been and where he had brought them to and what it meant for how they were to live. Uh, the week after that, we're going to talk about Passover. We're going to talk about Passover and, and the Lord's Supper and how that memory is supposed to work for us 
today. But as we look at Sabbath this week, uh, we're going to start with the text that was read earlier in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, This is uh, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments that are given to Moses. And in the middle of them, you have for yourself the command to observe the Sabbath. Starting at verse 8, it says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The instruction here in the first giving of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 is that there should be a memory that you have on your day of rest that God created. And that at the end of six days of creating, God came to the seventh day, and on the seventh day, God rested. And he did it not because he was worn out. And you've got to get this. At day six, God didn't quit with the creation of humans because he went, whew, man, I was going to get to unicorns and dragons, but I'm just worn out. I don't have enough left in me to go another day of creating. I'm just going to have to call it quits. Humans are just going to be as good as it gets. We'll see how this goes. That's not what's happening in Genesis. God's not out of fuel. God's not out of power. God doesn't need a nap because he's all worn out from the trees and the seas and the animals and the humans that he's created. He's not exhausted. God is inexhaustible. God rests as an example to his people, the, 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 the high point of his creation. He says, I've created men and women now, and I've put them into my world, and I have this desire to have a relationship with them. But one of the things they're going to need is a day of rest. And so on the seventh day, I'm going to rest over all the creation in this incredible, perfect moment of harmony that they will know that they can't just work all the time. God knows that if if left to our own devices, we're going to fill up our agendas and our weekly planners and our Google calendars and all of the things that we use to be chaotically busy all the time. We're going to fill ourselves so much that there's not going to be any time to take a step back and remember the God that in six days created everything. And so God rests. And he commands Israel when he gives them the law. He says, listen, don't kill people and don't steal stuff and don't take my name in vain. But but know this, you need one day a week that you rest. You need the rhythm in your life that you have days of work and a day of rest. You need engagement and disengagement. You need to inhale and exhale. God has built into the fabric of our DNA a need for a back and forth in some of these areas. And, And we live in a world that is just making us exhale all the time. We need the time to go, oh yeah, the creator God. I see him in the trees, and I see him in the rivers, and I remember in my rest that God made this and that God made me. 
built into the fabric of the Sabbath is the invitation to remember God. But what's interesting is that at the end of his life and his ministry, when Moses is writing uh, the book of Deuteronomy, and he's giving this final set of sermons in Deuteronomy to Israel to say, listen, we've, we've been on this journey. We left Pharaoh, and now we've gone through the wilderness, and you're about to go into the promised land. Deuteronomy is Moses coming together at the end of his ministry to say, let me remind you all the things that I'm afraid you're going to forget when I'm gone. And Deuteronomy is these last sermons of Moses. And as part of that, he reminds them of the Ten Commandments. And Moses does an interesting thing in the giving of the Ten Commandments, and he changes what you're supposed to remember when you are observing the Sabbath. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 5, when Moses is re-giving the Ten Commandments, he changes what they're supposed to remember. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Moses reroutes the Sabbath memory and aims it not at creation where it was before, but he aims it at God's deliverance from Israel, from Pharaoh's cruelty. And he's doing something that's important here. He's saying, you have to remember the things of God. Now, he's not saying, forget God as creator. That's already there. They already know it. But he's adding to that the memory that God delivered them with his hand, not because they were worthy or earned it or that their army was strong enough to do it on their own. God delivered you with his power. He brought you out of slavery. Don't you remember that? And this memory has a purpose. Twice in this version of the Sabbath command, uh, Moses mentions female and male servants. Only once in the previous version, twice in this one. It's a little bit repetitive. And in the Bible, they don't ever repeat themselves on accident. If someone in Scripture repeats themselves, it's uh, their way of saying, look here, this matters, it's double important. If they say it three times, they're saying, now memorize it and tell somebody else. Moses says twice, it's a rest for your male and your female servants. There is built into this memory a command for the future. Remember, you used to be slaves to the cruelest of masters in Pharaoh's Egypt. But God delivered you. Now here you are about to go into a promised land where you're going to have your own servants, male and female slaves, some from your people, some uh, you're going to have your sons and your daughters that work for you and serve you, but you're also going to have servants from other nations that work for you. You are not to become cruel masters like Pharaoh. You're not to be that kind of a boss or an employer. You're not to be that kind of ruler uh, to, to, to hold other people's lives in your hand and to be oppressive to them. You know why? Because you used to be a slave. You should know better. God delivered you from being a slave, so why should you inflict cruelty on another? 
And so built into the Sabbath command is a reminder. If it weren't for God, you'd still be slaves. So maybe you should remember that in your treatment of others. There's this social justice command. He says, I want you to rest. And the rest isn't just for the wealthy. And it's not just for the Israelites. And it's not just for the men. And it's not just for the, the parents. It's for the children. It's for the animals, the ox and the donkey and all the other animals. And it's even for your, your foreign slaves, your foreign servants. Everybody in Israel, whether they're Israelite or not, observes the Sabbath. And the really incredible thing about that is I might be your boss on Monday, but on Saturday, if you can't work and I can't work, we're equals. And we can just walk around together and remember that we have a God who delivered me and my people from, from Pharaoh. And we have a God that on this day wants to be reminded of your freedom in him, current and future in a complete way. And we're reminded that God calls us to not be over one another in any way in the past, present, or future. But that God calls us in rest to become equals that spend time as, as not employer, not as one of higher status and lower status, but as someone who is a human, as I am a human, and as anyone else is a human. We're all equals in rest. Which, by the way, undoes the curse. For one day a week, we don't have to toil and sweat and work so hard to make a living. We just trust that we're not going to work today and God's going to provide. We're not going to work today and we're going to be equal, not oppressing one another and trying to get ahead. We're undoing what was done in the fall. Sabbath is a one-day invitation to live like humans used to live in Eden. What a gift. And, and listen, today... The Sabbath is not a command for Gentile Christ followers, which is us. Okay, it's, not, it's not part of what God has given us. We, the commandments are still good and they're valuable. You shouldn't kill, keep that one. But the Sabbath is not a command that we inherited in our Christianity. But just because it's not commanded doesn't mean it's a good idea. You tell a four-year-old they're going to have to take a nap and they go, no, I don't want it. But why do you tell them they need a nap? Is it to be mean? Sometimes. <laughs> but is it really because you know they need the rest? God says, listen, you don't have to do Sabbath, but there's a blessing in it if you will. Well, I don't have a whole day every week that I can just rest. Fine, take an hour every day. For most of us, five minutes a day would be more rest to remember God and what he's done than we've done in weeks. What, what does rest look like as Gentile Christ followers today? As we envision what it means to rest, step back, take a few minutes of no work, and remember God and what he's done. God the creator by being in nature. God the redeemer and the savior by remembering what he's done. And we weren't just set free from Pharaoh. Through Jesus Christ, we're set free from sin and death. Can't we reflect on, on that? We're reminded we need rhythms of rest and work. We're reminded to be present to the world and the creation so our minds are drawn back to the creator. We're reminded that we have a savior in Jesus who has delivered us, but we need to rest and reflect and share and tell the stories if we're going to be the people who have a Sabbath 
for remembering. And, and let me just show you quickly how this works. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is talking about worry. And worry is has got to be one of the biggest threats to our sanity today, right? Let me show you how Sabbath is medicine for worry. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Here's what busyness sounds like in Jesus' teaching. People who are worried all the time about what they will eat and what they'll wear, and so you're just trying to get enough together to make sure you've got all that you want and all that you need. It sounds like people who are sowing and reaping and storing away in barns, saving for tomorrow all the time, just chasing and chasing one more check, one more dollar, one more savings account. We sound like flowers that are laboring and spinning and are all the time trying to do all this stuff. He's like, just be like a flower. Flowers look fine. Pagans run after these things, O oh, you of little faith. The busyness that we are just wrapping around ourselves like a status symbol today sounds a lot like how the pagans live. O oh, we of little faith. So what do we do? We don't buy into the lies of our world. Here's some of the lies of our world. Our world says, if I don't keep working, I won't have food, drink, or clothes. It says, if I don't show up today, the world might stop spinning. Here's how you know if this is true or not. If you think that you're the most important thing in the world, you won't have a problem turning off your phone for four hours. Just turn it off and set it aside and don't worry about what's going on outside of your control. But if you start getting panicky inside, what if someone needs me? What if something's going wrong? What if I have an email that I need to respond to? If I don't get back to it in three hours, someone might be mad at me. They might. That might be their problem. If you can't turn off your phone for a few hours, you might have a problem with thinking you're in control and that the world's going to stop spinning without your being immediately present to all of the humanity. Right. 
The world lies and says, I can only depend on me and have faith in me to look after me. And it lies and says that only I know what's best for me. But restful remembrance, Sabbath memory, reminds us that these lies aren't real. It reminds us that God provides even when we aren't laboring and spinning. It reminds us that the world spinning doesn't depend on me, it depends on God. Colossians, we read that it's Jesus not not only created the world, but through him it's held together. Jesus holds the world together, not me. I need to remember God's past faithfulness faithfulness, and anticipate his future faithfulness. I need to trust that God knows what's best for me, even if it's not what I think is what's best for me. I can take a break because God's in charge and I'm not. I can take a break to remember God, thank God, and trust God. I can take a break because God designed me to need rest and to be blessed by rest. It's not time out. It's a blessing. My rest in God's presence exalts him. Psalm 4610 says, be still and know that I am God. And I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Be still and know that I'm, in, that I'm God. And it exalts him. Our rest in God exalts him. And the last text that I want to leave you with is, is this. It's from Hebrews Chapter 4. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now remember, this is New Testament. A lot of times we think, yeah, Sabbath, that's an Old Testament Israelite Jewish thing. It's not ours. It's not mine. I don't need this. But hear this. This is Hebrews, a New Testament letter written to Christians who are Christ followers and have the spirit living inside of them like we are and we do. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Don't you want to enter the rest of God? You can rest from your your works and your striving and your laboring and your spinning and your chaos and rest in God because there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And in that rest is not time out. That rest has remembrance. And when you enter into that remembrance about who God is and what he's done, that commitment that God has been committed to you in the past, and when you respond to that in gratitude, it gives you peace in the present, and it gives you hope for the future. If you're crippled by worry and anxiety and fear about your present and future, you need to be more grateful about what God's done in the past by resting in remembrance about all he's done. Listen, if you're here today and you have not entered the rest of God, let me tell you, it's got peace for the present and hope for the future, 
And there is no rest like the rest of God. If you want to enter that rest today, you enter it by becoming a Christian, by believing and being baptized. If you have that or any other need, please come forward this morning as we stand and sing. In the fields I would yield, circles brave and true, in the fight for the right, blessed where to endure, spend my days through the 